and welcome to another episode of Scarves Around the Funnel as we look at another week in the world of Heart of Midlothian Football Club. It's going to be a difficult show this time, I think, Mark Donaldson, who has bravely also joined me. <laughs> Hello, how are you? I'm okay, how are you? Um, yeah, I'm okay if I don't think about hearts. This is... <laughs> Probably the first time since we've been doing this that I've been like, "Geez, this is going to be hard," <laughs> because we've we've had some we've had some weeks where there's been there's been tough results, but we're going to get to it very quickly. I, I don't think we've had anything like this to deal with. Not even we've close. not we've not, and we said right from the beginning when things are going well we enjoy it. When things aren't going well, we're not cheerleaders. Uh, I think it's important that we dissect. But I'm glad this is now Monday morning, my time, Monday afternoon, your time. And I did send you a message saying, do you want to do a kind of hot take straight after the game? I'm glad we didn't do that because now I kind of understand why managers aren't particularly keen to speak to us in the media straight after games. Because it's not until you calm down a little bit and it's taken the weekend to do so that you can maybe think a little bit clearer. Because no wonder people say things that they later regret after a game. So we will of course look at the Livingston Hearts game which was played last Friday evening over at the Tony Macaroni Arena. Uh, we've got some messages from a few of you in relation to the Boo Boys 11. Well, I can tell you the, some of the themes. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you one right off the back. Um, Revel in Time says, can we just put the team from Friday night into the Boo Boys 11? I was Boo just Boys about 11? to give you the 11, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that, that kind of theme, we had a few messages along that sort of those sort of lines. Um, and of course, we will look ahead to Aberdeen, which is the next game for Hearts. Uh, but yeah, let's uh, rip off that sticking plaster and get right to it. So, Friday night, Hearts travelled to West Lothian, the short trip, 14 miles out of the capital, to face a Livy side who, they're a decent team, they're a difficult team to beat. We, we said in the last show that in the nine league games, since they've been promoted, they've only lost one, and Celtic went there, Hibs went there, Rangers went there, none of those teams could come away with a win. So I don't think anyone was expecting an easy ride for Hearts, and I think we spoke last week, Mark, and we said this is going to be an under two and a half goals, this is going to be a nil-nil, or it's going to be a sneaky one-nil win for one side or the other. Um, straight off, the game was very open in the first half, and I mentioned a couple of times during our Hearts TV commentary that this wasn't the type of game I expected. It, there was quite a bit quite a bit of free-flowing play, it was end-to-end -end at times, and there was quite a few chances Hearts almost scored. Livy almost scored three or four times, and when it got to half-time, I have to say I was a little bit concerned. I thought we were getting opened up far too easily, and it wasn't the match I'd anticipated. No, we should have been behind at half-time, and I think the nil-nil scoreline just papered over the cracks. And then we changed things at half-time. Now, understandably, with DiCamona having to go off and, and Hughes having to come on, we changed the formation as well, Peter Haring dropping back. This is a weird one to analyse, because after 71 minutes, it was the game that we kind of thought it would be as far as the scoreline was concerned. <laughs> yes, yeah. Wasn't it? 
nil nil. Well, that's a bizarre thing. And I, I, I remember analysing afterwards, and I said, first half concerned me a lot, and half time I said we need to change something because we're lucky that we're not behind. Uh, Bobby had to make a couple of good blocks. We were defending a bit desperately at times. And the second half, I thought, this is better. We've we've shored things up. We seem a lot steadier. Fair enough, we're not creating an awful lot, but we've got to the point in the game where we're maybe reaching the, the business the business end of the of the match, so the, the final 20 minutes. And it looks steady. It's nil-nil. We can maybe take a couple of chances. And then, and you'll, you'll notice, sorry guys, I know that we we'll, we often look at the starting lineup and we'll discuss changes, blah, 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 blah. I don't know if you agree, Mark, but I think we'd be as well just get to the spell of the game, which is really what we're we're on about, because this 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 formation system almost all goes out the window with this the end of the game, the, the the last twenty minutes, which was just bizarre. It was unbelievable, and I mean, and it did, and it started, and it started with the penalty, which, uh, let's be honest, uh, it was a terrible decision by Bobby Slamal to come out and what he did. It was just the last twenty minutes. In fact, no, the last 18 minutes, because that's when the damage was done. That's when they scored a penalty, it was, yeah, 72. Correct. So, it actually, it's taught us quite a lot. Now, I'm not glass half full all the time. I wish I was more positive than I am. Maybe it's a Scottish trait. Um, but if I, if I was to be, or to take, not so much positives, I don't think you take positives from this, but I think you can learn lessons from it. The one lesson that I think is the best lesson is we have learned that in the space of 18 minutes. I would rather we learn certain lessons quickly than it takes a period of six or seven games before we think, yeah, I wish I'd seen that right at the start. We now know some things that we maybe didn't know before, or we maybe thought we knew before, but we weren't convinced. Number one, Bobby Zlamal is an excellent shot stopper. That's about it. He's not a good decision maker. He dillies and dallies when it comes to crosses and whatever. And he should have a spell on the sidelines. Now, you could say it's been coming, but then we're talking about papering over the cracks with the score nil-nil at half time. His saves, he was outstanding in the first half, but they were all saves that he was forced to make because of, of defensive deficiencies. So that's one lesson. It's time to see what else we've got. And if Doyle's not up to the task, he's got to be given a chance. If he's not up to the task, and I know he was playing in a, a reserve game today against Rangers, then we find someone else. Next, Aaron Hughes. Great servant. But game's up. Game over. Shouldn't play again because he's, he's too slow. And he was, he was signed for an extra year, um, basically in case of emergency. And... It was an emergency, I suppose, because we didn't have Godinho, so we couldn't kind of play um, Godinho there and Smith across. But Aaron Hughes was certainly involved in three of the goals. So we've learned two key things here, that going forward, if Hughes is not involved again, um, or certainly as a last resort, and Zlamal has a, a, a spell on the sidelines, if the people who come in do well, then I think it's a lesson that, that, that's worth learning. Um, there were other things as well. One thing I'll, I'll mention here right now, and it's an interesting one. I was thinking about this the other day. Sean Clare, when he came to Hearts, came with, I don't think I've, I've seen a manager um, issue as much praise on a player who 
But I mean, we, we have to take it in face value because none of us had seen him. I'd spoken to a friend of mine, Lee Bullen, who's the assistant at Chef Wed, and he said on his day he's a good player, but how often does he have his day? Um, but there's certainly something there. Craig Levine talked this kid up. Now, if he'd just come in quietly as someone we're, we're working on and he was introduced into the team as a project, then the pressure for me is a lot less than, than for what Craig Levine, has, his comments have, have now put on Sean Clare because we expect him at times to be a match winner based on the comments. He's not. And his, and you, it's hard to, to kind of pin something on one specific player because everybody was culpable. But I thought Hart's collapse was typified by his attempts in the second goal um, to lose possession, to not make the tackle, just horrible, absolutely horrible. And it, it was a kind of, I don't really want to be doing this dirty work. And it showed. So we've got to learn from that. So those are the three kind of lessons, not main ones, but three, three things I took from the last 18 minutes. And I mean, looking at the penalty, and I think there's... There's, there has to be something said here about the officiating um, because it's not an excuse by any means and I think we've got massive problems beyond <laughs> refereeing. But it's one of those moments, and I don't know if you've ever had these um, commentating, but when Nick Walsh ran up to Bobby's Lamar, and I fully expected a penalty to be given. It was a terrible challenge by the goalkeeper. It was a clear penalty. And he showed him a yellow and then a red. And I had this slight moment where... I just went quiet and I just looked around and I was like, have I have I had an absolute shocker here? Because I can't remember Bobby somehow getting booked. And I was like, looking at my notes and I was just looking around and I was like, when, how did I miss a keeper getting booked? I was like, was he, did he say something at some point? Or was it in the tunnel maybe? Did he have a disagreement? I was like, I, I can't remember it. And I was kind of, it was this awkward moment where all professionalism just went out the window and I was just, the referee's showing him a second yell on a red card. And, and I took my, I actually had to take my headset off and tap some reporters in front of me on the shoulder and go, when did Bobby get booked? And everyone's like, no one knows. And then, again, we're not we're not going to make any excuses for the result by this. But to me, that was it was a bizarre error to make. He obviously didn't send him off in the end. He realised his error. Bobby went back to, to um, face the penalty. But how does a referee think he's booked a goalkeeper and he hasn't I mean it's there's only one goalkeeper in the team it's not like yeah. two, two players who look similar oh sorry I thought I'd booked you it was him or two numbers that you maybe oh, I thought it was I thought it was you know thought it was 22 but it was actually 12 it just something I, I, I was just I was dumbfounded by that error yeah oh okay okay um Nick Walsh had an okay game with the exception of a couple of things one, that was just a mistake, and I'm glad it was rectified, and I'm pretty convinced it was rectified by Stephen McLean, the fourth official, because BT, in their commentary, were very, very quick, um, and obviously they have the, the touchline reporter, whether it's Ailey or, or Emma or whoever it sure, is, yeah. and they, he's obviously said to him, uh, to, to, to them to pass on to, to the commentators, um, he, he's not been booked, it's, it's a mistake. And because they're all mic'd up, I assume that it was quickly rectified. I've got no problem with that whatsoever because I, I totally agree with you 100%. As commentators, we take – different commentators take different notes. But I always take a, a note of the bookings. 
And you're spot on. You always remember if a goalkeeper has been booked. Now, you can easily get booked in the tunnel or, or something out of sight that we haven't seen, which would make it, uh, would make it a little bit clearer. Um, but you've got to remember as well, yellow cards and, and red cards to an extent, but they're shown for the benefit of the spectators in attendance. They always have been. Um, and even if it's a closed-door game, you, you're doing that so that everybody knows. Not so much the spectators as well, but, but the players as well. It's, it's a kind of... Um, it's an act that takes place. You, you, by showing someone a yellow card, you're obviously booking them, but it's, it, it's a weird one. It's, it's done for the benefit of, of everybody else to, to, to make sure that everyone knows that that player has, has been booked. The goalkeeper wasn't booked. Um, and, and the issue was rectified. So I, I think that's something that we can move on from. We all make mistakes. I've got no problem with that. The issue I've got is the second yellow card for Duke. I was going to say, yeah, within two minutes of the kickoff, and I was the other side, so the way that um, the Tony Macaroni arena is laid out is when you're doing commentary or the opposite side from the TV cameras. So I'm in the stand that you could see if you're watching obviously on BT Sport or whatever. So the Jume incident was on your your near side for you watching, Mark. It was on the far side for me. So I could see Jume going for the tackle. I had to say, from where I was, I thought it looked a foul and I expected a free kick. But when, he, when I saw him go for the card, I was very surprised because I've not sat here and went back and totted up any foul counts. But I couldn't remember Arnold Jume making a series of fouls. It didn't look like he'd, he'd, he'd put in four or five before it. Um, there was a booking early in the game for a Livingston player, which Nick Walsh clearly said was for an accumulation of fouls. I, I couldn't believe that he was given him a second yellow for it. I thought he'd be, he got caught up in the whole... Obviously, the atmosphere had increased around him. Livy had scored. Hearts were behind. There was, you know, the usual... The the, the tempers had started to, to go up a little bit. The tempo had increased. And I, 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 I thought it was a very poor decision on that. And then when I saw a replay of it afterwards, I thought it was an even poorer decision because it looks like Arnold Jume's actually won the tackle and it's not even a, f- a foul. It's a decision that's been made. And if it's not made, no one has any complaints. If it's a kind of, look, come on, final warning, you've already been booked. I know people are saying don't give the referee a decision to make, because that's what I say as well when, when you've been booked. But I, it's, it's not a yellow card for me. Now, we're, we've been speaking in recent weeks about referees, VAR, and various other things to do with officials. The one thing I'm saying to Nick Walsh, um, if he does get anybody speaking to him um, when he's appointed, if it's just an email or, or whatever, I'm kind of saying to to all my referees, look, try and avoid controversy here. Obviously, you've got decisions that have to be made, but don't bring yourself to the forefront again, given the few weeks that we've just had. And that could have been a talking to, do it again, and you're off. And no one would have said anything. Gary Holt, even kind of when questioned about it afterwards, when asked, did he see it? He's like, "Uh, yeah, kind of, but that's the referee's decision. That's his way of saying there was no way it was a second yeah. yellow card. But decisions are made. And if you've been really harsh, don't make the challenge if you're on a yellow. Well, it's, it's difficult because, I mean, you're taking um, the, the kind of combat nature out of it. However, it's still no excuse for what happened next. Oh, I, no, think it was, no. I, I think it was an error. Um, but two things. One, Craig Levine said afterwards, the Hearts players chucked it. Mm-hmm. And I, t- I, I totally agree with that. And two, I think they felt sorry for themselves. And if they don't learn a lesson 
from that last 18 minutes, I think you'll see a much improved display on Saturday. In fact, I know we'll see a much improved display. I also know we will not see a capitulation like that again. I'm amazed that we saw that. But, and, and, and as this podcast goes on, I've got a couple of um, a couple of Hearts fans have, have posted things on Facebook, which I want to read to you. And, and maybe they were done knee-jerk straight after the game or, or, or whatever. Um, one of them calls for Craig Levine's head, um, which is a nonsense. But we have to see something as fans that shows that that was just a complete abomination and ultimately a blip. And I think we will. Because if we don't, as Craig Fowler wrote in his piece in The Scotsman today, there'll be mutiny. Yeah, and I mean, looking through the goals, um, so two minutes after the June red card, um, Dolly Menga scores, Sean Clare really slack with possession, tries to run it out, gets dispossessed. And the defence, it was an awful goal to concede. He walks across the six-yard box. I actually thought he took too long with it. Um, could have could have shot earlier. He better commit himself too early. Aaron Hughes, which it's actually it's actually hard to watch that because Aaron Hughes is obviously a footballer who's had a very distinguished career in England. He's had he's obviously the most capped outfield player for for Northern Ireland. He just he just doesn't look like he can play at that level. Not even close now. No, he, he no. was he was nowhere near it. Dolly Menga slot in, um, and then the, th- the three goals after that are just. So uh, Ryan Hardy ball over the top again. Um, Aaron Hughes just he just can't keep up, and Ryan Hardy slots in. They're 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 pretty much two almost identical goals. The Ryan Hardy ones are just Mitchell gives it away. I think for the first one, then the second one is just an easy ball over the top, and then we had a a seven minute spell where we managed to keep them at bay, and then towards the end, this is something that that I spoke about with with Jimmy Sanderson and a few of the guys after the game. Now we're four 0 down. The game's done. We've, we're down to ten men. We 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 can't string two passes together at that point. Livingston, as Craig Levine said, we've, we're starting to make them look like Paris Saint Germain. And we we throw better and a heap of bodies forward for a free kick. Livingston win it back, and we leave Aaron Hughes and Michael Smith two on two. And sure enough, Sean Byrne ends up slotting it in. And I. I and I said, I actually listened back and I was like, I think I was slating him at this point. And I said, I don't understand. Is is Craig Levine telling the players, telling Berra and everyone else to pile forward when we're 4-0 down, down to 10 men and miles off the pace? Or is it the players just deciding themselves? The game was the game was well and truly dead at that point. And I know it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things in terms of um, points and even the goal difference, really. But 2-0, 3-0... Okay, it's a bad night, but five nil away to away to a, a good and a solid Livingston team, but not a Livingston team that should be tearing us apart. Was this? Did everyone just go off script at this point? Because a few people said to me, "Well, Craig Levine's talking of chucking it." Suggests maybe, and if you go on the Hearts website just now, by the time you listen to this, it might be a different story there. But you open the Hearts website just now, and all you see is the word "unacceptable" and Craig Levine's very unhappy looking face. And that kind of summed it up. But it, did these players, did they just go completely rogue for those last, especially after the red card? Was it just completely going away from the manager's plan or instruction? I think it was totally unprofessional, whatever it was. And, and rogue is a good word because that's certainly what it looked. The only people that know are the players themselves. Whether they would admit it, what they did, I don't know. But it was a shambles. It was a house of cards that was blown down. 
Scott Robinson, for me, epitomised Livingston's performance. And he was only on the field for 20-odd minutes. He came on, he was involved in goals with cross-field passes. And he showed a hunger. They remained rigid to their setup because that's what they do. And that's why they've been successful this season. That's why they've got a plus eight goal difference. And we've got a minus one goal difference as well. But here's one for you. Hard work can beat ability if ability doesn't work hard. And for me, Scott Robinson and Livy summed that up. And for Hearts now, it's, it's all about going forward. And what I've done, I've actually done a little bit of prep, which I always do for games, but I've done some for the podcast. Okay, some of the games of which I've been at as a fan and I've been at as a commentator in the past, and we've lost heavily. How have we responded to those defeats? Because we've got Aberdeen next, so let's find out in three games I've got to, to take a look at from, if you don't mind. Feel um, free. Thank you. Three games I want to have a look at on, on how we've done following an embarrassment. We lost 5-2 at home to Partick Thistle. It's a horrible defeat back in March 1996. We then went on a run. Falkirk we won. Beat Aberdeen in the Cup Semi at Hamden. Beat Rangers. Beat Wraith. Drew at Aberdeen. Beat Kelly. Drew at Motherwell. And then we had the Cup Final in 96, which didn't go our way. Gary Logg got injured and we lost 5-1. That was a good pickup. We did well that day. Then uh, we have the Cup tie um, in 2002. Falkirk, yep. Falkirk. So... This was a case of um, Joe Jordan was on his way out by, by this stage because we'd been beaten by Rangers at home, Aberdeen away. Oh, wait, oh no, sorry. I thought you were going to go Falkirk under Craig Levine. You're thinking... Uh, no, this is I, Falkirk under Craig Levine. Yes, earlier then, sorry. Nine, this is Falkirk, this yeah, is, 93. This is, this is end of the season, 1st of May, 93. It's the 41st of 44 games. And, and this was the one that, for me, was as close to the players just saying, F you to Jordan, as it was to the players going rogue at Livingston. How did we respond to that? Funnily enough, next game against Aberdeen, but at Tynecastle midweek, we lost. Then we drew it home to Airdrie, and then at St. Johnston, we lost. So that wasn't very good, and, and Jordan paid the price. So we're one and one from the, the two games so far that I've picked. The Falkirk Cup tie in January 2003, now, as you mentioned, uh, I think it was the previous month we'd lost heavily to Motherwell as well. But we'd, we'd done all right. We'd picked up from that. Then we lost 4-0 in the Scottish Cup at Falkirk. And I, I remember commentating on the game, and it was a weird one because we put out a decent side that day, but we're just run ragged. We then, funnily enough, Aberdeen, next time out, away from home, exactly the same. We won by a goal to nil. Then we beat Dunfermline. Lost in the League Cup semi to Rangers, but back in the league, we beat Kilmarnock, beat Motherwell. So we've seen two of the three uh, whereby we've, we've bounced back. If I'm Aberdeen, Hearts is the last fixture I want this weekend because I'm expecting a backlash. It's now up to these players to do what two of the three examples in the past have done and bounce back and 
reward the fans who go up to Aberdeen for their hard-earned time and cash with something to cheer about because, by goodness, they owe them something. Yeah, the Motherwell game was the one that popped into my head, which was yeah a month prior to the the uh, Falkirk Cup game. And it's interesting, if you just look at the league, I know there was that big blip with the Falkirk game in the Cup, but Motherwell 6, Hearts 1, was 4th of December 2002. Hearts were, were 4-0 down in 36 minutes at Fair Park that night. And this is the game where we did have, we've spoken about it before, you had Wilfred Weefio playing. I think David Dunn got his own labour game for Hearts. So it was a Hearts team that were struggling with injuries selection-wise, but still the performance and the result was an, an abomination, really. But if you look at the league, in the next 16 league games, Hearts won 11, they drew 3, and they lost 2. And the two defeats were at Ibrox and Celtic Park. Yep. And they obviously went on to absolutely coast third place in the league that season, which was pretty much as good as it would ever get for Hearts at that point, given the spending power of, of Celtic and Rangers back then. Not, you know, the teams then were would would put I think the current Celtic Rangers teams to shame if you were you were facing them. So that was an incredible run of form, really. And yeah, it included, like you said, that win at Pataudry, which is which Hearts next game. So the reaction is going to be important. Um because I mean this is uh, History was in the making at the Tony Macaroni because it was 17 league games we'd been unbeaten against Livingston until that happened. I know there's been many different Livingston teams in that time, but to lose that way, I think it, this is a, a big turning point. And I, I don't think people can really seriously call for Craig Levine's head, but we need to see something because this this collapse is just that, not just the Livingston game, but we, we go to Pataudry now behind Aberdeen in the table and indeed Aberdeen have a midweek game if Aberdeen win their midweek game at home to Dundee which most people will expect them to then suddenly they're three points ahead of us now when we beat Dundee which was the game before the collapse really of our, our season so far we went 13 points ahead of Aberdeen 13 points and now they're obviously going in with a chance to go six ahead of us when they play us at Pataudry. That, that is an unbelievable turnaround. Yeah, and, and, and to, to use the word compliment that statistic that, that you've just given. Again, I want to refer, and I will a couple of times, to Craig Fowler's piece in, in The Scotsman. Over the course of the last nine games, including the Betfred Cup semi-final, so this is just after the Dundee game, where Naismith obviously limped off, Hearts have conceded 21 goals over the last nine games, including that semi-final. A dreadfully poor average of 2.3 per match. Remember, this is a club under the same manager who broke a club record for consecutive clean sheets last season. And as Craig points out, Hearts fans are desperately awaiting the return of Stephen Naismith, but now are wondering if they can play him at centre-half. <laughs> but this is the thing, and it is. I saw a stat, and I've not, I've not verified it, but I know it will be roughly correct anyway, that said it's with Stephen Naismith in the team, Hearts have a win rate of about 80%. With him out the yeah. team, it's not much over 10 now, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And if you look at the season, you've got lots of wins, 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 draws. You've got a defeat at Ibrox. And then when Stephen Naismith limps off on the 28th of October, early on in that Celtic game, it's defeat, draw, defeat, 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 draw. One win against Motherwell, which we needed, wasn't pretty. We hoped it would be the catalyst for better. And then a 5-0 absolute demolition at the hands of Livingston and all all credit to Livingston they made the most of it they punished 
Hearts being lacklustre. And to be honest, over the course of the game, even if you take those 18 minutes out, they had better chances than Hearts before then. So they were richly deserved winners. But Hearts should not be going to face a team like Livingston and lose 5-0. I, I, and that, it's just, and I understand that. I said in commentary now, Jimmy also, he's, you probably heard him on Hearts TV before, he hates the, the booing culture. And I'm not a fan of either, but towards the end, and I said to him, I was like, a lot of these fans who are still here are staying to show this team what they think of it. And I was like, and I normally don't condone that, but I think right now, those players out there, they deserve to get booed off that park by the Hearts fans who are still here. Yes, and credit to those that stayed, because it's not easy to do. The only reason I stayed at the 6-0 game at Brockville was because <laughs> I, was on a, I was on a bus. And I, I mean, if I wasn't on a, a supporter's bus, I would have been long gone. I got hammered when I went back because I kept everyone from leaving early and getting to the pub to drown their sorrows. Um, but... I was I was tempted to leave on Friday, but I, yeah. I was I can't imagine I was broadcasting to very many people by by the eighty sixth minute. But you never know. You, you, you know what? It, it must be a human thing for gore and for guts and for I don't know whether it's horror movies or whatever. I mean that that was that was a public mutilation that was that was carried out. On, on Friday. And I think the time has come now, um, as far as this podcast is concerned, to go from analysis to what next, because we've had a big issue on Friday. Now it's time for us to discuss how to resolve it. Okay, well, let's let's listen to, to some of the message we've, messages we've received about the game. Stuart says the whole team should, should take the blame for Friday. But is it time to give Colin Doyle a go as goalkeeper? No idea yes. how good he is, but at six foot five, he should be a physical presence. And you had mentioned it already, so is that obviously we don't know if Craig Levine will make that decision. But in your opinion, Saturday Aberdeen away, it should be Colin Doyle starting that in goals. Yeah, because otherwise you're rewarding failure. If I'm Colin Doyle, and I've, I've got one or two situations right now at work where um, political decisions are made that might not be what I think is the right decision. However, it's hard to take um, for one or two instances. And if I'm Colin Doyle and I'm not starting against Aberdeen this weekend, what does that tell him? He's been brought in to provide competition. And ultimately, if you start, I think I think it's more um, sending a message that you're not rewarding failure. Now, you're not going to change all 11 players. That would be silly. Uh, you have to pick the best 11 available. Bobby's Lamal, all his good work and the saves in the first half were undone by his stupidity. And then uh, he went down like a chocolate fire guard um, in the, in, for some of the goals as well. And, and it was just a capitulation. His head had gone. So if I'm Colin Doyle, I'm... I'm I'd, I'd be extremely disappointed if I don't find myself between the sticks on Saturday. Mark Wells said it, it should have been 4-1 at halftime to Livingston. Yeah. Penalty kick all day long, no arguments. He mentioned that they capitulated like nothing he'd ever seen. Embarrassing, not enough fight. Based on that, the Gorgie boys ain't going to Europe. And certainly if, if performances continued in that vein, I, I wouldn't disagree with Mark. I, I guess looking at the team, now we, if we're deciding yet, change the goalkeeper, that's only one issue. But, I mean, Bobby, he gave her the penalty. He's had a couple of dodgy moments. He's maybe not instilling confidence in his defence. B, 
beyond that, we have other problems. One of them is going to be centre-back because the that cursed position at Hearts at the moment because we've now lost Berra, he's come back, but we've lost Suter, we've lost Tikamona now, and of course we lost Jimmy Dunn. Um, I, I, I don't know what it is about centre-back this season, but we can't seem to keep them fit. What are we going to do in defence? Because okay. we're playing an Aberdeen team who are a good side and they'll be looking to take advantage of, of, of that yeah. part of our team. They will. Um, we're putting Peter Haring back there. We're keeping it simple. He's a centre-back who was brought in as a centre-back, who's excelled out of position. And the argument now of, oh, but we need him in there. We had him in there in the first half and it didn't work because the sum of, of all the parts in there uh, didn't work in the first half. We moved him back to centre-back but Aaron Hughes was in there as well. And it was just, it was a mess. It, it was just horrible. So what do we need to do at the weekend? We don't have three centre-backs, so we've got to play four at the back. You have a choice of bringing Michael Smith in to partner Christoph Berra, which is a, a possibility if Godinho is available and you keep Haring in midfield. If he's not, I'd go Smith at right-back, Haring and Berra and Garuccio at left-back. Because... This Garuccio-Mitchell thing has been a, a weekly thing for us. And finally, we got our opportunity <laughs> to, to see what it was like. Did it work? <laughs> I'd need another viewing. It wasn't a failure, but it wasn't a great success. But I do think, reading some of the comments on kickback about Dimitri Mitchell, he's not the same player that he was. I just think he needs a run of, of games in an advanced position. And then, you know what? If that doesn't work out, we cut our losses. Someone suggested he, he looks like we've got him on loan from Colchester, not Man United. This isn't the <laughs> player we had last season. The, we, we now live in a society whereby there are no pink newspapers to go and pick up at 6.30. We eagerly await that. We live in an instantaneous society, whereas if you fail, you're out. Now, everyone who's calling for Craig Levine's head, that's fine. It's, it's, it's a democracy. You're entitled to, to your opinion. I don't agree with it, and I would turn that around and, and, and say, A, how much was he culpable for the collapse in the last uh, 18 minutes, uh, but not wanting to sound like a Craig Levine apologist as well. Those people who want him out and say they've had enough, they weren't saying that when, when they were top of the league. Now, granted, now it's been a horrific run of form, but can they look at themselves and say, wait a minute, I've, I've done absolutely nothing wrong in my life, and and if I have done something wrong, are they being hypocrites by doing this? Look, of course they're entitled to say what they feel about Craig Levine. But we live in a society now, Laurie, where there's no patience whatsoever. Fantasy football is a prime example. And fantasy is just the perfect word for where we wish we were right now. In a fantasy world, hearts would be doing a lot better. But if someone doesn't do well for your fantasy team one week, okay, you, you want them out. You're, you're done with them. You want to move on. This is the same guy who'd done really well, so you wanted to bring him in. It's just, you can't chop and change. And then you complain when you get rid of the guy. Oh, shit, he's just scored a couple of goals. I wish I'd kept him. There's a lot to be said for patience and then see what happens. If nothing changes, no problem whatsoever with change. Whatever that change is, something has to happen. But just call canny, as my old gran would say. Just let's see how we respond to someone, to something. Because if we do respond well, then patience is a virtue, but patience is something that we require. If we don't respond well, then we're in a position to say, okay, how can we fix this? But right now, it's got a sticking plaster on it. It's not totally broken. 
Aberdeen will tell us a lot this weekend. So you've given us the goalkeeper in defence. Ahead of that, what we're looking at midfield-wise, so we're missing Arnold Joom through suspension. Um, we've got Peter Haring dropped back into defence. So how, how does that midfield then look? Sanderson, Mackay, not Brian Hamilton. I was never a fan of him. He was another David Hagen. Uh, Colin Cameron and Kenny Black for a bit of a bit of bite in an ideal fantasy world. How does the midfield look at Aberdeen? Whew. Well, so, where are we playing Naismith? Because I don't think we can just expect him to play a full 90, although he might, because he'll want to. <laughs> it was funny, I saw a post from his wife saying, I love him to bits, but I wish to hell he'd just get out of the house, because he's a pain <laughs> in the arse, because he just wants to be back playing. So he'll want to play 90 minutes, okay? So wh- where are we playing him? I think we have to play him up front. I don't think we've we've really got a choice. So we've we've got our back four, and I'm sticking with with Smith as uh, as, as a right fullback because there's a doubt over Godinho. So let, let's stick with what we we think we have. So we've got Doyle in goal. We've got Smith. We've got Haring. We've got Berra, and we've got Garuccio. Now I don't want to be hypocritical myself and kind of say well, we're getting rid of the Garuccio-Mitchell tandem because we've spent all season saying we want it and now it might not have worked for one game but then it only worked for sorry it was only visible for kind of 45 minutes due to the change in shape so I'm playing Mitchell on the left I'm giving Callum Morrison another opportunity on the right because I do think we need some some width um, in midfield then I think you've got to make some changes so I think you bring Ollie Lee in. I think he uh, he starts. Um, you'd have to play Bozanic um, in there as well because we are kind of down to the the, the the bare bones. And I'd play I'd play Harry Cochran or Anthony McDonald, um, subject to availability with with Naismith up top. I think we have to send a, a message to the youngsters that. Hey, if if things don't work out, then you're you're in our thoughts because he's kind of disappeared. I know he wasn't. I don't know if he was unavailable or or whatever, but he wasn't on the bench. Neither of them were on the bench um, on on Friday night. So so yeah, I'm, I'm going Morrison right. I'm going Mitchell left. I'm going uh, Bozanich and Lee and Cochran in the midfield in support of of Naismith. Um, that would be my team for for this weekend. Well, interestingly, uh, we are recording this on um, Monday afternoon. Full-time whistle has just recently gone in the reserves game. Hearts have beaten league leaders Rangers 2-1 in the reserve game. Cochrane started that game. McDonald started that game. Doyle started that game. So there's maybe a bit of food for thought. I, I would be very surprised if Craig Levine wasn't at that game today. Oh, um, no, he'll be there. Yeah. He'll, he'll be there. So okay, I, I can see that. So a four-five-one. Obviously, you can debate about how you want to call the midfield setup, but effectively a four-five-one. That's what we used to always call it. Okay, let's change the topic slightly. So, so last week Mark uh, brought up the topic of your boo boys eleven. So that can literally be be players that you booed that you that you didn't fancy, but just generally players that 
you didn't take to. It could be that they eventually turned it around. It could be that they never did. But players that you just weren't a big fan of. So we're looking for suggestions. And we'll maybe run this over a couple of weeks to see if we can put together an 11. I'll go through some of the messages we've received. Robert Martin said, he's never been one for having boo boys, but Andy Watson was his exception to that rule. Um, before my time, it was, what, late 80s he would have been at Hearts? I don't know if yeah. you remember much about Andy Watson. Yeah, yeah, he, he played for Hibs <coughs> excuse me, as well. Obviously had that spell at Aberdeen. He was fine. He was, he was never someone that started regularly. He was a regular off the bench and started the odd week. Again, fine. I, I, I get that. That's why we kind of introduced this topic, because different people have different memories of different players. Foxtrot Oscar, another one of the, <laughs> you, you always laugh when I give his name. He, he, he says, one, Jamie Mole, two, Callum Elliott, three, Larry oh. Kingston, and four, oh. Michael Stewart. Even recalling those days gives me the rage. And I have to say, I think it's three <laughs> and four really have to go in there because, you know, Larry Kingston and Michael Stewart, I think, were two decent footballers in terms of ability-wise, but they they were very unpopular at a lot of stages, and I completely understand it. I mean, Larry Kingston, just from the frustration that you got someone who's a Ghanaian international and he's on a lot of money, and he, he rarely was available to play, and when he did, he often just didn't look arsed. Yeah, so, he, he was in his mid-50s when he was at Harps, to be fair. Yeah, God so. knows how old he was. <laughs> so, and Michael Stewart, um, I like listening to Michael Stewart on on the radio. Sometimes he ties himself in knots, but he's, he sticks to his guns and he's adamant, even if he, he kind of double tracks or double backs on, on, on what he says. But I remember, remember commentating at Tannadice. Oh, he got much. Sent, he got sent <laughs> off at Tannadice. For having a go at a fan, yeah, oh. and in and, and the main stand down, down below us, and and I remember after the game I went down to see the fan, just because uh, there wasn't interview. I think it was at fourth at the time or whatever. I said, "What was going on?" He tell me to Fox draw Oscar, <laughs> so, so I tell him to as well. I was like, "Oh my goodness, he's TV. just you don't you don't even need a match to to light that fire." Um, but I mean, there's passion. He's a big Hearts fan as well. Uh, as far as, as one of the other four are concerned that were mentioned in that, Callum Elliott is 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 a good one for, for this because he had a fair few people that were just like, God, I can't have him. Aye. I really can't. And I, I felt for Callum because he was the quietest, shyest lad. He was a great dancer. <laughs> oh, my, yeah. Goodness. <laughs> and, yeah, we're all, we're all different with a couple of beers inside us. Um, but, yeah, he, he was a player who... At time, I know he waited an eternity to score a goal. He flashed talent at times, but I totally understand why. Because he could be so frustrating that he would appear in this subject matter. Uh, so let's have a look. Gary Milligan says, uh, Michael Stewart. <laughs> also, Ryan Stevenson and Andy Webster in their second spells. Uh, through stubbornness, he says he eventually got. <laughs> he said he eventually got over himself with those two. But he says Stuart, though, the shouting at teammates every time he played a stinking pass, never a captain. So Michael Stewart looks like he'll be a stick on already. I think. Yeah, accountability. I'm not sure was Michael's um, was Michael's biggest and, and most popular trait. Uh, you asked for a goalkeeper. Ross says goalkeeper for the Boo Boys uh, would definitely be Alexander or Hamilton for him. Um, I, Alexander Hamilton. Alexander or Hamilton. I was going to say, that's like, <laughs> is it, are we back on? Are we now on Broadway? What's going on here? <laughs> Which I get Hamilton. I've 
uh, Jack was often on with Harris TV, lovely guy, but he did struggle at times um, when he was given the the shirt, given the jersey to start for Hearts. I was a bit surprised by Alexander. I thought he was very capable for Hearts. I don't think he was spectacular, yeah. but capable. Um, I always thought if you were a Hearts fan, you got an extra few weeks to prove yourself. If you came out of your press conference and said, yep, been a fan of the club since I was a boy, <laughs> and it, it wasn't bullshit. Um, and you can the Kenny Miller trick when he says every single club he goes to. <laughs> yeah, Boris Johnson always wanted to play for Rangers. Um, goalkeepers. Yeah, oh, here's, I've Alex, got one. Alexander was fine, okay. Um, Stevie Morris. Uh, this uh, it's maybe a bit before your time as well. I know it is, actually. He says, goalkeeper Brian Wilson from the late 70s. He says, Willie Gibson put Hearts 3-0 up against Celtic and they lost 4-3. Oh. So, um, I have to say, Brian Wilson, not a player I would have seen, not a player you would have seen, but I'm, I'm happy, to go with, to, happy to go with Stevie, Stevie Morris's word, mainly because I think Alexander or Hamilton is a bit harsh. But you know. Yeah, I, I still like Alexander Hamilton as, as one of them, one of the founding <laughs> fathers of the United States. Uh, the one I gave last week was David Hagen, and the one I'm going to give this week is someone I actually mentioned earlier in the podcast. And it's, uh, funnily enough, I've just spoken about players who have an allegiance with a club if it's Hearts, get an extra or should get an extra kind of few weeks um, before their poor performances are brought. I think he's a Hearts fan. We'll, we'll, give, we'll give him another couple of weeks. No, no, we can't anymore. Uh, this player, to my knowledge, is not a Hearts fan. Um, I think he's a he's a maybe a St. Mirren fan or a, a West Coast boy. Um, someone that was up against it right from the start because he was signed from Hibs. And he cost about a quarter of a million um, in January 95, bought by Tommy McLean. I just could never get Brian Hamilton. I just, he was all right for us. I'm sure he had one or two reasonable games. But, I mean, what did he get? He got a couple of couple of goals against Motherwell and one against Aloha in a League Cup tie. I'll, I'll throw one out there, but not mine. But one that I can't believe I've not seen mentioned would be Darren Jackson. Who um, obviously having Hibs um, in his his previous teams, I think I remember, and I was I was still reasonably young. I, I was at the point where I wouldn't really have, I wouldn't have booed a Hearts player at that point. I remember I didn't really understand why so many fans didn't like him, and I think I didn't mind him. He's got a crack at Pitodre. He's got a really yeah, really yeah. good goal at Pitodre. Anyone who appears to me as a fan to have bought into it to give everything they've got, to leave nothing out there. And I, I, I thought Dan was that type of player. Um, I think he's that type of person as well. He's not everybody's cup of tea. But I always liked him after football and all the dealings I had with him. Um, strange isn't the word I would use. I, I, I would use a word... Um, what would be the best word to describe Darren Jackson? Um, he, he, he's someone who... Maybe it takes a little bit of time to get your trust. Because I always felt when I spoke to him that he never trusted anybody in the media. And understandably so, I have to add. But I think he was someone who would be a right good pal once you got to know him and you, you got his trust. I think he would do anything for you. But he, at, for, for, for a few people, I, I can understand why he wasn't overly likable. But as a Hearts player... I didn't have any have any complaints with him because I thought he tried and he tried hard. Run through a few more. Eck said um, 
Kiza Navichus, uh, he hates to be the guy yeah. who just plumps for the Lithuanian, but he was absolute guff, no, says Wasn't Eck. the best. Um, another goalkeeper here, Harry Temple, says um, Nicky Walker. Is one yeah, of... no, that's that's a good one. That's a good one. And the amount of times you'd say, just, I won't piss off and make shortbread, Walker. Because <laughs> obviously, coming from that family, he didn't need to play um, because his family was, was minted. That's, that is a right good shout, Nicky Walker. Um, and I remember, I remember <laughs> here's here's the kind of tangent. It's taken a while to go off on tangent um, today. Panini stickers. Back in the 80s, the Scottish Premier League, the fine fair Premier League, you used to get one page, not two pages, in your Panini books for your teams, which meant one sticker included two players. You didn't even get a player to a, a, an individual sticker back in the day. So Nicky Walker was in with Jock Wallace for Rangers with the C.R. Smith top, and he was Nicole N-I-C-O-L J. Walker because that was his, <laughs> that was. His. I just remember these weird things. Nicky Walker, yeah, at Hearts. Oh, that was was that the Brian Hamilton era? Let's have a wee look here. Continue. Uh, Harry Temple also had <laughs> um, George Wright, and he said a more recent one who actually redeemed, redeemed himself was Christos Karapidis. Um, Amoruso lets it run has his boy as Jamie McAllister after that showing in the 2005 semi at Easter Road, which is obviously referring to the League Cup semi-final when Motherwell beat Hearts in, in injury yep. time and uh, injury time, in extra one. time, and McAllister didn't have a great game. Um, Brian Dixon says his answer is Ramon Pereira, the, the, mullet, <laughs> the, the mullet himself. Eh? He says he saw him in a preseason friendly when he started, knew right away he was a dud and never changed his mind, did Brian Dixon. So I think at the moment we've got what? Nicky Walker in goals, got McAllister yeah. left Jamie back. Jamie McAllister's a good shout for, for left back. Um, I've got Andy Webster as maybe a centre back. No, I wouldn't put no? Webster, well, not as a boo boy. I mean, I remember when he first came in and, and Presley took him under oh, his I've got, wing. I've got no problem with Andy Webster. But no, I wouldn't, I, I, I'd like to think we can get two better options at centre-back okay. um, than, than Webster. I think, are we not talking about his second spell? Is that not what someone mentioned? Yeah, I think he was mentioning the likes of him and Stevenson, and I guess it's partly to do with the manner of their departure first time around. Maybe. Yeah. maybe. I mean, look, are we, oh, in that case, are we putting Presley in there? I, I certainly think we don't. And I, I, I think... Stephen Stephen was stupid with some of the things he did, and that people don't forget, and understandably so. The whole chest thumping stupidity. I've spoken to him since then. He he regrets that, but he should have said that in public, and that would help to appease the situation. He didn't. No point saying now he regrets it. Um, he regretted it a few years ago, but he never went public with that. That was just a conversation that him and I had. He should have done. He didn't. That's his fault. But I wouldn't put him in a in the Boo Boys 11. Right, so let's see. We still need a right-back and a couple of centre-backs then. Um, midfield, I, I, I don't know about you, I'm happy to have Larry Kingston and Michael Stewart in the middle. I think they're... <laughs> you know, I think <laughs> I think for this topic, I think they're perfect in there. I don't think you'll well, get... Can, can we have a 4-5-1 then? With those two, okay. Brian Hamilton in midfield, we'll have David Hagen wide on one side and Ramon Pereira kind of... Whatever. With Callum Elliott up front. Callum Elliott up front. Who were some of the other options? Um, Let's see. Well, we had George Wright, Christos Carapides. Jordi could play play right back. 
I'd have I'd have George at right back before Carapidus. I didn't mind Carapidus, and George was fine. I'm just jealous that George ended up doing a TV show with Joe Guest. <laughs> well, look, we can keep it running. We'd see if someone can maybe complete the team. So if we do all that, we're still looking for a couple of centre backs, basically. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, let, let's leave that one running for now, and uh, we'll, we'll move on. But the Boo Boys Eleven, if if you want to help us complete it, think of your centre backs. Uh, even maybe ones we've discussed. If you if you want to throw a Presley or a Webster in there, why not? It's it's not. Jim, Jim, does Jamie Mole get a gig up front? I think Jimmy Mole was that bad. I don't even think he can get even make it into the Boo Boys oh, eleven. Oh, what a, what a shame! He'll be on the bench, son. Maybe <laughs> on the bench. Right, so I think that's about it for this week. Um, I don't, I don't know if you've got any homework, uh, Mark, but another Mark has has given has given some potential homework. I don't know if you want me to read okay. it. Out, which was what we got. Mark yeah. Mark Wells says, "How about your all time hearts are living in your own living memory? So your hearts are living, which I'm sure most people have discussed that at some point. But it's always a good one to 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 go over again to have a think about the best eleven that you could put together of players that you've seen." Yeah, I'm happy to go with that, but the, the the rule has to be that it's from your first game, not from the day you were born, because obviously you'll. Yeah. It's from your first game that you attended to sure. now. Yep. Okay. The eleven. The, that's a good one. That'll get people thinking. Yeah. So so from when you f- first started watching Hearts, so when you first been to a game, which for me will be oh, 1997. So I'll have some good options. You're such a youngster. Goodness me. Well, it's so, subjective. In, <laughs> in your first full season, Hearts win the Cup, and you're thinking, hey, this happens all the time. Yeah, my dad said that. He's like, do you know how long I've been waiting for this? Oh, my God. <laughs> One season. We scored four at Pataudry in my first game. Really? Mm-hmm. Who, who scored, do you remember? Um, Robbo claimed one, but I'm pretty sure it was a Gary Smith own goal. Uh, we Tam Flogel got... Two, I think, and maybe Neil McCann with one. God, I should have, I should have had that looked up before. Let me just open it. Let's that was a good team, by the way. Oh yes, a good team. It definitely I mean, was. the the, the lineup from my first game: Smith around something like this: Smith, Kid, Whitaker, Jarden, Berry, Levine, Colquhoun, Black, Clark, Mackay, Robertson. Ian Jarden might have played as well as Sandy. Um, that was yeah, that was the. That was the start of the run. I think we drew against Dundee at the start of October in 85. And that was the first game. Uh, St Mirren was the next home game and never lost again until Dens Park. And I was pretty hooked, but I was introduced early on to misery come the end of the season. <laughs> come the end of your first season, you get introduced to a Scottish Cup win. Yeah, that's not that's not bad. I know. I've had a look, and I was right with the goal scorers. It does say it's um, Dean Windass opened the scoring for Aberdeen in the first half. Second half, Neil McCann leveled things up. There's two from Flogo with one in between, which does still say John Robertson. Um, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty <laughs> it's not sure. going to change now. It's, uh, I'm, I'm going to argue that one. I'm pretty sure he cut it across the box, and it was Gary Smith who knocked it over the line. But anyway, that's irrelevant. But yeah, Aberdeen won Hearts for November the first, nineteen ninety-seven. Rousset, Locke, Point and Weir, Salvatore, Ritchie, McCann, Fulton, Robertson, Cameron, Flogel. That's, that's not oh, a bad team. What a team. What a team. What we would give for that to go up to Aberdeen this Saturday and to, to come back with, with a result. I'm going to be interested to see the lineup. That's going to tell me a lot. It's going to tell a lot of people a lot. 
Who does he trust? Who does he think might not be good enough? Who's going to be the fall guy or fall guys from Livingston? And what kind of response are we going to get from the players? Because I think we've got two people at heart, Craig Levine and Christoph Berra, that care like nobody else about that football club. I don't think there's anybody that cares more about the football club than those two. And I think and I hope and I pray that we get a response on Saturday at Pataudry. That brings us to the end of this week's show. So thank you again to Mark for joining me and thank you to all the listeners for their feedback, which has obviously helped us along on what has been a very difficult one as we analysed. Uh, so it's one of the, the biggest collapses in a, a Hearts game that we've seen in a long time. We're hoping there's going to be a reaction when Hearts go to Pataudry on Saturday and Mark and I are going to be back with a show to analyse that just before you all start tucking into your Christmas dinner and start opening those presents on Christmas Day. So we're hoping we'll have a show out to you which will be available, let's say, Christmas Eve. So that might be something to, I don't know, get the family around the fire roasting chestnuts and listening to scarves, <laughs> scarves around the funnel. <laughs> can, I, can I leave you with a quote? Not so much to perk you up, but just to put in perspective where we are right now. Adopt the pace of nature. Her secret is patience. <laughs> <laughs>